Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Was Blake wearing a toque today, Grady? Like, what was Blake wearing on his head when he did the show? Because I just put the headphones on. And these Blake's head and mine aren't that different in size, but these did not fit me this morning. What was Blake wearing today? I do not recall. I think you just have a small head. Someone's got to find out because I never have to adjust these headphones, but I did a little cold open today uh, on this very rainy Monday morning. My name is Dave Guggelli. I am joined by Harmon Dial. Our technical producer is Grady Sass, the voice you just heard answering a question from me about Blake Price's head. Um, this is Canucks Conversation. And we have had a bit of an interesting intro today because a Sniper liked it in the YouTube live chat, said, what a great intro. I agree. I, I think we should do more intros like this, the cold open. I think it's nice to do this every once in a while. If you're here, though, you probably know that this is Canucks Conversation. What you might not know is that today's episode is a presentation presentation of the Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool game. Wendy's is letting you win real food with your fantasy teams this year with the Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool. For those of you who dream of smoking the competition, Wendy's is rewarding you with weekly prizes that will have you winning. But here's the big secret to lineups. It's all serendipitous, like Wendy's new limited edition chicken strips and French toast sticks. Sometimes the best teammates are the ones you least suspect. Sign up to play Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool to win weekly prizes like new chicken strips and French toast sticks from Wendy's and the Wendy's app. My lock of the day over on... uh, DFO Survivor Fantasy. And if you're on the live show, you definitely have time. If you're on the podcast, you might have time. Go check it out. Wendy'sDailyFaceOffSurvivor.com. My lock of the day, Sebastian Ajo to get at least one point. That's what I'm going with today. Harmon, how was your weekend? It was good. I had to wake up really early both days. I've had, I've had to wake up much earlier than usual just for random errands going on, taking the car into service and everything, uh, which uh, I'm... Early for me is like 8.30, so I should, I should preface that. I'm um, I'm a night owl. I get a lot of work done late at night, so I've had to readjust my sleep schedule. I used to be like you, but then, you know, once you get the puppy, oh my gosh, the puppy schedule that I was on, and I've told this before, we were going, we, we had shows while this was all happening, but when I got my puppy, the World Baseball Classic was happening, and there were games happening in Japan, so there was games that were starting at like 3 in the morning, so I'm getting ready. Like I'm waking up in the middle of the night, watching some world baseball classic and then going back to bed after the puppy gets tired enough to go back to bed. But my goodness, it was, it was hell during that time. And I basically haven't recovered. Now I sleep those hours all the time. I don't wake up in the middle of the night. Obviously he sleeps through the night, obviously, but I do do the, you know, like 10, 10, 10 o'clock. I'm in bed, 10, 11 o'clock. I'm sleeping by like, I, if I'm not sleeping by midnight, something has gone horribly wrong, whether that's a weekend regular day of the week always the same time i also watched as a side note the the calgary game with some friends and they're really they're they're funny guys they're not my main sort of social group but just like watching the game with them was really interesting because like the the comments like the observations they had about like they pointed out ryan huska looks a lot like pierre mcguire especially with the glasses and once you see it you can't unsee it and then with Rick talk, they were like, this guy just looks like he's full of testosterone. Oh, for sure. And but I'm like, like, that's bang on. Here's here's my take. And I know they're friends. So maybe I'll mention this to talk. See if he see if he agrees. Paul Bissonnette. Rick talk. It just looks like an older version of Paul Bissonnette. Think about it. Like the facial structure. Mm. Rick talk. It looks like he could take Paul Bissonnette. Like, Okay. Young Rick Tockett looks like he could take Paul Bissonnette at any stage of his life in a fight. I'm not I'm not convinced yeah, Rick Tockett yeah. couldn't take him right now. I'm oh, not yeah. convinced. I think he could, okay? But I do think they look very similar. Like, I think, and there's only one way to prove this, in 30 years, when Biz is Rick Tockett's age, 
we're gonna know if I'm right or wrong. I don't think Biz is gonna age as well as Rick talking. Did Did you know that he's gonna turn sixty? I know that. That's, that's the other nuts. thing. That is, yeah. He does not look like he's about to turn sixty in twenty twenty four at all. Grady, bonus points if you could pull up some photos of Bombas and Ed and Rick talking, <laughs> uh, just for the YouTube here, because uh, I think they, I, I, I legitimately think you they are do. so off base with that one. No, yeah, they, they do look alike. No, no, they do look alike. No, Come on, no. I've thought this. I've thought this since Rick talking got hired. I've thought this. And they sat on the same pant. Are you kidding me? They absolutely look. Al- I'm looking at it right now. They have. Ab- Anyways, don't see it. Turn the laptop to me. Okay. Well, you'd be like, not great for the listeners, uh, but okay. Well, you just looked at a photo of Biz and went, eh. Now look at Talk, younger Talk. They look the same. Anyways. Anyways, they could be brothers. Give me that. Cousins. Whatever. All right. I already talked about the Wendy's Daily Face Off Survivor game. And now it's time to talk about the Canucks dousing the flames in nikita zadorov's vancouver canucks debut where do you want to start here do you want to start on zadorov or do you want to start elsewhere sure we can start on zadorov i thought it was a quiet efficient effective performance by him i thought him and myers were pretty solid together they didn't make many mistakes you look at the play driving metrics they were handily outplaying calgary in those five and five minutes in terms of the shots and chances uh, relative to how much they gave up, of course. I also noticed a couple things stood out to me. Number one, he is really aggressive at standing up or, or pinching in the offensive zone to, to not just keep possessions alive, but to disrupt Calgary's breakouts. I counted at least three instances where he killed the Flames' breakout, including in the first period where it didn't even look like he was trying to crush Dylan Dubé, but he still sent him flying three feet, which was really impressive to watch. The other thing that stood out was defending the rush. You can just see when he's able to use his skating to gap up well, there's just no space in the middle because of his reach, because of his stick length. So those two areas stood out as positives to me. He didn't make many mistakes, which which is key. And I thought it allowed the Canucks to manage the rest of the Blue Lines minutes well and ease everybody's workload that was kind of the main topic that we spoke about when the trade originally happened was oh well now quinn hughes and philip ronick aren't going to have to play as much and that was true in zadora's first game with the canucks which you obviously wanted to see but the other thing i noticed was not only did ian cole's ice time also come down ian cole had one of his better games as a vancouver canuck at five on five the canucks out chance calgary seven to two with cole on the ice that is so first of all that's a good stat on its own, but it passes the eye test as well where Cole wasn't, like you, you spoke about it, Cole's 34 years old, right? He wasn't forced to play big minutes and in turn, he wasn't forced to do a role he's probably not cut out for at 34 years old. And the conversation you and I had on the last show uh, was how important it is to keep a guy in that age range fresh all season long and how Zadorov's going to be able to not only help Hughes and Ronick, but help keep Cole fresh as well. And the point I'm trying to make is that I think what we're going to see with Zadorov is you're going to get lower ice times and thus the best version of a lot of guys. And I think we saw that with Ian Cole on Saturday night. Absolutely. I loved his game quietly this season. He's just been so steady, so effective. He's been on babysitting duties. Essentially when you look at this season, he's at uh partner with first Myers, then Mark Friedman, then Noah Juleson. So he hasn't had a lot of help on his right side. And yet he is not just always in the right position defensively, but even with the puck, we know that he's not the quickest skater. So he, so he doesn't have those dynamic elements. He's not a puck mover, but for a defensive defenseman, he makes sound decisions on the breakout. He knows when he gets a puck, whether he should rim it, whether he's got a short outlet option whether he can even go D to D sometimes he'll have a, a player sort of chasing him on the forecheck. He'll invite that forechecker closer towards him. And then he'll uh, sauce a backhand, you know, short pass to his partner who now actually has space to make a play uh, on Sam Lafferty's two, nothing goal Cole on a neutral zone regroup had a fantastic stretch pass to spring Elias Pedersen for the clean offense zone entry that got the Canucks set up prior to that goal. And then obviously later in the sequence, he got the secondary assist as well. The best word to describe him is just savvy with the puck without it. 
and was in and around the 17 and a half minute range in that game against Calgary. Whereas before the Zdorov trade, he was averaging north of 20 minutes per night for the first time in his NHL career at, of course, the age of 34. So it's going to be nice to hopefully keep him fresh. And it's, it's funny. I went up to him at uh, practice yesterday and, and mentioned that to him. He didn't know that he was averaging that many minutes and threw out a joke that, Maybe they just got to take less penalties and that'll help them uh, <laughs> yeah. pl- get the ice time down. Uh, we're going to have Jeff Patterson on tomorrow, but he wrote about the Canucks penalty kill over at Canucks Army. Save it for tomorrow. We'll save it for a topic for tomorrow. Maybe someone will bring it up. Anyone else later in the show. Sorry, I just like cough, but caught it. Uh, anyone else later in the show, get yours in, folks. We have some already in the YouTube live chat. Maybe someone wants us to talk about the penalty. Okay, moving away from Zadorov, keeping it on the Canucks game. I thought that was a fantastic bounce back game and the kind of game that you're hoping can start to springboard a player's confidence for Elias Pettersson, who picks up a goal and an assist. But on top of the point totals, I thought he just looked like the best player on the ice, which I don't think he had maybe at any point during the month of November. I don't know if that's safe to say, but yeah, I'm going to say it. I think that was Elias Pettersson's best game in at least a month. Like maybe I'd go back and maybe change that answer, but it's been a while since we've seen Elias Patterson take over a game like that. And I thought that was really good to see from him. Well, I don't think it's just that he took over that game. I think that line as a whole took over that game because Lafferty and Mikheyev were incredible as well. I mean, the number of, of board battles that Lafferty was winning, how he was using his speed to just hound the flames, win pucks back. Even when you look at Lafferty's 2 nothing goal, it started with that line was defending the flames and it looked like Calgary was starting to pick up some momentum on that shift. Rasmus Anderson was just dynamically slipping and sliding all over the offensive zone with the puck, uh, sort of looking like Quinn Hughes light. And then it's Lafferty that was shadowing him and cleanly broke that play up, helped the Canucks sort of transition the puck up the ice. And if you don't make that defensive stop in the first place, you're never going to be in the offensive zone to then score that uh, goal. So I thought Lafferty was incredible. Pedersen, as you mentioned, I thought looked more confident carrying the puck through the neutral zone. He could have easily had another point on uh, the shorthanded play where he set up JT Miller. JT Miller usually banks uh, banks that one in. Uh, had another shorthanded chance in the second period, I want to say, where um, Rush shot. Markstrom made a good save. I thought he was solid. And then Mikheyev as well had five shots, had the breakaway it was finally nice to see the top line play like, I mean, I'm calling them the top line. I mean, you could easily call the JT Miller line the top line. Either way, it was nice to see the Pedersen line playing the way where we've been wanting the Pedersen line to play at 5-on-5, five five, which is just pummeling the opposition. Playing the way that they're going to need to if this team is going to find success, right? Like when we talk about Rutherford's, if everything goes right, we're a playoff team quote, which we are going to bring up at numerous times throughout this season. That's got to be at the forefront on top of Thatcher Demko, who I thought had a better night than maybe the raw save percentage and maybe the numbers on natural stature and everything suggested. I got to start my own analytics service where I like actually determine if a if it was a high danger chance or not, because I thought there was a lot of high danger, high danger chances. That's my new way of talking about it, I think. Because not everything that's listed as a high-danger chance is actually dangerous. Ask any yeah. goalie. They will tell you that. I need my own system. I know there's already one out there, but it costs money. So I'm going to track it myself. I'm yeah, start do tracking. it. That'd, I'm that'd gonna, be great. I actually, you know what? Starting tomorrow, I'm going to track how many high-danger, high-danger chances, double high-danger chances. Just call them great days. No. No. Why not? I don't know. <laughs> sounds like someone's used high, that before. Have you ever heard anybody say high danger, high danger chances? Yeah, that's because it sounds a little stupid. Well, sounds like that's what I'm going with. Uh, okay, so I'll subscribe. <laughs> I'll do breakdowns. But also. I agree with you because Calgary created a lot off the rush. And you bring up a totally valid point that natural statric and a lot of these public models, they can't account for whether chance was off the rush, whether it was off in zone cycle play, whether Noah Juleson was on the ice. <laughs> and so, yeah, the Calgary had a lot of chances where they're coming at Demko with speed, which is different than if you had that same shot from a locate from more of a stationary position. Yep. That's what it comes down to. And that's what the new model that I'm creating, the HD HD 
I'm already running into problems. Maybe I should just call them grade A's. Whatever. I'll come up with a name for call my model. Call them grade A plus chances. Can we get Dom back on the show to ask him why his model is called Dom's model? No, we call it that because we just what said it. What does he call it? <laughs> he just calls it the model. That does. That's almost as bad. Uh, I mean, no. He actually has... Uh, a, it's called net rating. I don't like it. Has he thought of net rating, net rating? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> Um, sorry. Uh, okay. So we've got a lot going on here. Um, is there anything else you wanted to get to from that game before we kind of move on? Cause I want to go a little more big picture here and we are going to, you have something about the month of November as a whole for the Canucks and you're going to bring that up in anyone else. You got to get a prospect report in before that. But I did want to say that for all the gaunt, how we heard the month of November was a gauntlet for the Canucks. This rest that they have right now where they had a practice yesterday, they had a day off today, like a team day off, no activities at all for the team today, could not have come at much of a better time for the team. I think I think this is going to allow them to rest a ton. I think I have to look at I should have prepped this, but I think it's like five games in the next 10 days compared to we were looking at, you know, seven and 11 or whatever it was in November. And those were good opponents. They've got good opponents coming through five home games in a row now for the Vancouver Canucks and you want to be well-rested for these games against these opponents. The question I want to ask you, Harmon, is we've seen them struggle, saw them struggle against Vegas. We saw them struggle with Colorado at times. And kind of the conversation has been, okay, well, they were tired then. Do you almost look back at their matchup against Dallas, which they won, their matchup against New York earlier in the season, where they contested with the Rangers at five on five. Ultimately, they fall on like the power play. Do you look at those games and say, okay, this is who the Canucks are when they actually have a chance to get their feet under them and they just need to get better at playing tired. No, I I don't think they, well, here's the thing. They've been inconsistent against top teams, which I think makes sense because they're not quite a cup contender yet. And that's but, okay. But, that was never the expectation. Absolutely. Right? Because some nights you'll have a Dallas like performance where they're <laughs> beat them play play so well same thing against the rangers even though it's an ot loss to me they outplayed the rangers but then they'll also have the colorado loss where they were competitive but really really it's like the abs turned on the jets in the third period and, and took the game pretty decisively there and then you have a stinker against vegas it's they've been inconsistent they've been up and down and that's kind of what i expect from a team that is good but not elite I'm going to go out on a limb. This is my vibe check. I'm going to go out on a limb and say with these top teams coming through, they've got New Jersey tomorrow, obviously, and we'll, we'll talk about this more later. I'm going to go out on a vibe check and say not only do they win more than they lose out of these games, but I think they start to look more like the team we saw earlier in the season against the teams like Dallas, uh, against the teams like the Rangers, where these top teams are coming through. I think we're going to just start to see them be way more consistent in their game. And I don't know if it's all because of rest. I just think, I, I don't want to say after one game that Elias Patterson's turned a corner, but man, he looked good on that in that game on Saturday night. And now he's had two days of rest. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Elias Patterson's going to be pretty damn good tomorrow night. And I think the Canucks are going to follow suit as a team. That's just my vibe check. I got no numbers to back that up. Mm -hmm. Well, looking at their schedule in this homestand, they don't have any freebies, but also... So before the season, I think you would have looked at the stretch and went New Jersey, Minnesota, Carolina, Tampa, Florida, and gone, man, that's difficult. But you look now, New Jersey's not even in a playoff spot right now. They've been struggling. Fireland. They, they also lost to San Jose as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Minnesota has Welcome to the club. <laughs> Minnesota had to fire Dean Evison. Yep. Right. They've picked it up lately, but again, that's a team that by and large has really been struggling. Carolina, they're they're a good team. Like, that's a tough task. Carolina on a Saturday night, yeah, you're not like, getting a freebie. Yeah, like, that's a good team. Tampa's not Tampa this year. Yeah. Just straight up, you watch them play, especially defensively. I think they are allowing the most five. Their five and five goals against race rate is the highest in the NHL last I checked. And it's not just goaltending. Because, yes, Johansson was struggling, but they've got Vasilevsky back now. And you even look at how many quality chances they surrender. That team just isn't what it used to be defensively. So they're still an okay team, but they're fighting for their playoff lives. Florida's legit been good. Yep. So that that's another tough test. So oh, we else return. 
I'd say two of those five games, Carolina and Florida, are difficult. The other three, New Jersey, Minnesota, Tampa Bay, all those opponents are competitive, but they're, I'm they're not, not worried about teams. the competition. Yeah, exactly. It's not like Vegas, Rangers. It's not yeah. like that. It's Yeah, you're more having that conversation about the Hurricanes and the Panthers. I'll be interested to see kind of how this, how this homestand goes for the team. You want to think that after the month of November, they've kind of turned a corner. And look, let's just be honest. It feels like they fought off all of the regression that we were talking about. Like it happened, but all things considered, they came out of it looking pretty okay. By now that the month of November is concluded, they came out of it looking pretty decent as a team. And we'll talk about that more in anyone else. I know you want to talk about that and you got a lot of good stuff for us there. Uh, But before that, it's time for the Prospect Roundup, a presentation of our friends at Four Winds Brewing, family-owned and operated in Delta, home to the Four Winds Light Light Lager, a crisp, clean, and easy-drinking beer, a beer for everyone, a perfect beer for before, after, or during the game. Ask for Four Winds Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. You were with the boys on Saturday. I'm sure you guys were drinking your Four Winds, as you see right on our desk. Uh, enjoying a Vancouver Canucks victory. My favorite thing about watching the game with, I was about to call them normies, but you know what I mean? Like people who don't, <laughs> people who don't do this, do this yeah. every single day. Um, I just love the takes that come out of them. Like, you oh, had yeah, the, you had the, you, you mentioned, they said something about Ryan Husko. Like I, I was with, I'm not going to say who, and I mean, he'll see this and know I'm talking about him, but I, he, he won't care. I was with one of my friends recently and we were talking about uh, the game. He's like, man, do you think they should extend Tyler Myers? I'm like, oh, like maybe he goes, yeah, like I think he's a bit overpaid, but like if you get him for like two years at 4 million, I was like, oh no, I think that's too high. He's like, no man, like you can't teach size. And it felt like I was like having a conversation with myself, but I was like trying to infuriate myself. It was the weirdest. Anyways, it was really funny. And we got not an argument, but I was like, dude, I, I don't know how to tell you this. You're just wrong. Like I was like, that's not a contract you want to be signing. It's hilarious because I have the exact opposite experience where whenever I run into Canucks fans in person, and I'm not even just talking about like the diehard that listen to all the podcasts and are on Canucks Twitter all the time. They all dislike Myers. Yes. I'll, and Jolson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. That's, that's very common. I actually hear that a lot more, more often than I don't. <laughs> like I hear people that dislike Myers as a whole, but yeah, I just I love the takes that you get. Like I've I used to go to a used to go to a sports bar in Burnaby. Actually, shout out Stan's Pizza Joint. I should point it out. I don't go there anymore. I don't live in North Burnaby anymore. But Stan's Pizza Joint um used to go there with my buds and we would hear some takes for coming from the bar. Like, you know, older gentlemen, like Pedersen's too light. Like that was the main oh, one I heard. It was man. like a lot of criticism about Elias Pedersen. And hey, like he hasn't stayed on his feet lately. That's something people have been pointing out in our chat. Uh, but it was it was very funny. The Pedersen takes, those were the best. In like 20, how old was I? Like 20, it was his rookie year, rookie year, sophomore year. That was the year that Pedersen, I was hearing a lot of Pedersen takes from the bar over at Stan's Pizza Joint. So go support Stan's Pizza Joint. But anyways, uh, we've got more on the prospect report, which I haven't even really started yet. But this is the news of the day. Everybody's talking about it. Hunter Brustevich snubbed from the U.S. World Junior Team. They're doing like their preliminary roster. This isn't even their main roster yet, but he's not in there. I talked to a source about this, and he basically just said this is totally political. Um, The argument against it is that Lane Hudson and Seamus Casey both are kind of offensive-minded guys, and the thing Brustevich does so well is man a power play unit with Kitchener and he's the offensive defenseman guy. Like we know that, but the thing that the guy I was talking to mentioned was that the players who are going to be playing below those two guys are not really defense first guys. And they're basically just worse versions of Hunter Brustevich. But again, not much of a surprise, a surprise here because he was committed to Michigan. Then he decommitted to go to the OHL with the Kitchener Rangers. And Hey, We've had Hunter on the show, I think last month we had him on. Go check out that interview on YouTube if you want to see it because we asked him about that and he ba- he pa- painted the picture pretty clearly. He just said, look, I got to play and like I'm going to play a lot at Kitchener and he didn't badmouth Michigan by any means, but he just said, I have an opportunity to play a lot when it comes to the Kitchener Rangers and he's getting that opportunity and we're seeing the point totals follow and look, by no means does him not being on this roster have a negative like there's no negative 
take about this from Canucks fans other than, yeah, this is politics. This is what's going to happen. It's not like, oh man, is his development going to be okay because he's not on the world junior team? Like, no, Rustevich still looks like he could be a, a very real diamond in the rough that the Canucks found in the third round of the most recent draft. Nothing that's happened today changes that. Yeah, he's flat up been one of the best defensemen in the entire CHL. That doesn't change whether he's at the World Juniors or not. Also, it's a case of he's he's a late riser. And sometimes when you're in a situation where you're trying to make an international team, sometimes that just doesn't get the recognition it deserves. Because, yeah, the version of Brustevich that if you were, let's say, mapping out a World Juniors team in the summer, you wouldn't have had him on 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 the roster and it would have seemed like a defensible take you really have to account for the last two months to to change your mind and exactly sometimes when it's that recent uh decision makers can be slow to respond to that kind of stuff yeah and Corey anderson with a good point here and get your anyone else's in folks segment starts next Corey anderson said though in fairness that u.s squad is stacked on d multiple first and second round picks there uh, I still think he should be there, though. And that's basically what it comes down to is just the guys behind him. Can't remember their names off the top of my head, but the guys behind him, you know, they're not world beaters by any any sense of the imagination. And Brustevich should be there. That's all it comes down to. Uh, obviously, when you do what he did, going to the OHL as an American guy, you're going to have to feel the effects of that. And Grady's got something to say. Yeah, it's it's a two-and-a-half-week tournament, depending on, you know, where your team does. So, you know, the... In an ideal world, sure, we'd all love to be watching him over the Christmas break. But, you know, let's not lose track of the bigger picture here that this is just a young prospect developing who's playing against older guys and younger guys in the OHL. And, you know, I don't think just because he's not on this roster, it's not like it's going to set him back for development. Mm -hmm. World Junior is often just it's it is what it is. It's a showcase for guys against their peer group to see how they do internationally. We've seen a lot of guys come out of the World Juniors and not really be that all effective pro players and vice versa. There's been guys who haven't made the team who have made it to the pros. And you're asking yourself, like, how did this guy not make the team? So yeah, sure. In an ideal world, he makes it. We all get to watch him, but it's not really a big thing in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Great take there. Uh, okay. Do we want to get to anyone else? Do you have anything you want to say about Brustevich? Let's get to any, uh, anyone else. <laughs> it took me a second there. It did. What the? My apologies. That is very bad. So, does anybody know how favorites works on iPhone? Not really. If you have a favorite contact and they call you more than once. Oh, they can get through. They can get through. And my brother, who really shouldn't be calling me Tyler Myers. Tyler Myers (laughs) is your favorite. He's calling you twice. What do you mean I don't deserve two years at four million? (laughs) No, I apologize. That's very bad. Um, Okay, let's get to anyone else, though. Actually, prospect report. Just want to squeeze this in. Good weekend. Abbotsford people showed up to the Abbotsford Center the teddy bear toss smashing success love to see it out in Abbotsford we'll get to more about what's going on with the farm team and all of that when we have Dave Hall on the show on Thursday but we'll close out the prospect report there really just wanted to get in that Bruce Devich thing that just and hey it goes both ways like we've seen Hockey Canada do similar stuff when Canadian players choose to go to the NCAA there's similar politics this isn't just a US US hockey bad Canada hockey good that's not what I'm trying to do here I'm just saying it's a bad situation. Obviously, it happens with both countries, but we'll leave it at that. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. And get to anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our listener's chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. It's also our listener's chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they use the code NATION25. That's all capital letters, nation and the numbers two five that's 25 percent off up to ten dollar value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the doordash app and use code nation 25 offer valid in canada subject change terms do apply okay we've got quite a few in here today on this rainy monday also 
this is my question for people in the chat. Feel free to respond. We got over 120 people in the YouTube live chat right now. Where are you listening from? Like, I'm, I'm curious if everybody's in a cubicle. If, you know, like, what do you do for work if you're listening at work? That's what I'm curious. Like, because Faber famously used to listen to TSN 12 hours. Like, he, he would work his entire shift at the mill. He would have headphones in and he would work with just the, the radio station playing all day long. I'm curious where people are listening from. If you're in a cubicle at your desk, if you're supposed to be listening or not, I like, I want to hear people's stories about, uh, about how they're listening to the show uh, at two 30 on a Monday afternoon. Okay. Oh, here's a good one. Aruba Nomlas asked, what do you guys think Lafferty's next deal will look like given how effective he's been for the Canucks? I think he gets one. I also wonder, and I've wondered this aloud a few times, and uh, also we're getting a lot of feedback. At home in Australia, says one person. Two Australian listeners we've got. A few people from home. Kelowna. I love this. This is great. Nice. Corey Anderson's a chef. Doesn't work till later at night. Anyways, um, okay. On the topic of Lafferty, I've wondered about this for a while with the cap going up. If we're going to see a bit of a market correction because... With the flat cap, I don't think there was any group of players that got hurt more than bottom six forwards. We obviously know what happened with Tyler Mott. He wanted a certain dollar figure. The Canucks said no, traded him to the Rangers, which is hands down a W, Harmon. And then he's unable to get what he wanted in free agency from anybody. We've seen him go on PTOs. We've seen it all happen with Tyler Mott. I'm really curious what's going to happen when the cap goes up, if there's going to be a bit of a market correction toward those bottom six players. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I don't know what the answer is, but I think just giving my take here, I think you're comfortable extending Sam Lafferty more than one year. Like, does he maybe say, okay, I'll take two years at 1.5, for example. Like, I think you're comfortable giving that out if you're the Canucks with the cap going up. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is by cap hit, he already makes 1.15 this season. So he's not really going to be in line to make us a significant, to earn a significant raise, especially because, Yes, the cap's expected to rise, but we're already seeing the prices for top players inflate accordingly. So if you have a case where the cap's going up, but top players' salaries are going up, then net on the net, how much have you actually gained when your team's to, to all of a sudden be paying bottom of the lineup players a lot more money? So that's where, I mean, you look at the Dallin contract, for example, he outperformed some of his um, comparables in terms of the contract that he got. Leas Pedersen, if he continues performing the way he has this season on the whole, he's going to earn a significant raise in the bar. He's going to continue to climb higher. So with Lafferty, I, I don't expect cap hit wise that he's going to command a whole lot more, if I'm being totally honest. I still think it's a raise. I just don't think yeah. it's a significant one. Uh, very interesting. And do you want to give this right now? You have the numbers on Ryan yeah. Reeves because we were oh. starting to see we were starting to see some Leafs fans get very upset that the Leafs traded Sam Lafferty to keep Ryan Reeves, who they obviously signed in the off season. Reeves hasn't exactly been effective in Toronto this season, has he? Yeah. So essentially, by signing him, Lafferty was the odd man out. So Ryan Reeves turns thirty-seven next month. Signed a three-year deal this offseason. One goal, zero assists in 17 games. He's averaged seven, seven minutes and 33 seconds per game. 7.33. Like, when we talk about... So you're not playing much at yeah. all. But how can you affect your team so negatively in those minutes? In that sample this season, the Leafs have been outscored 12-2 to with Reeves on the ice at 5-5. Five five. It's legitimately impressive how much he's harmed the Leafs. <laughs> despite how little he takes the ice. And it was also hilarious because when they played the Bruins, Marshan took a run at uh, Timothy Lilligren and Lilligren got hurt. And it was a huge controversy in Toronto for like (laughs) a week that there was no response. And I'm like, wasn't the whole point of signing Ryan Reeves that you're going to have a response when these things happen? So yeah, it's... uh, it's not looking like a great move to sign Reeves and then get rid of uh, Lafferty, but I think uh, we'll take it on. Uh, we'll take it on the West Coast. I said this to you before we came into the studio. That overtime winner 
for Boston where Nylander blows a tire, Marshawn goes in and scores. Man, how do you not have your captain back-checking? Like, how do you not back-check in overtime? And I know you're tired. You've been out there for, I think he was out there for like a minute 30, which is obviously long. But look, we've seen Quinn Hughes. We've seen Elias Patterson, JT Miller even. We've seen these guys play like two-minute shifts in overtime, and they're still hustling back on a play like that. Like, your captain is not hustling back. There are big problems in Toronto, obviously, which we've known for years. Uh, Ryan Reeves is obviously one of them, but man, I just, I thought that goal, because it was on right before the Canucks game, obviously, so I'm watching that entire overtime, and I've just, like, you're not going to win. You're just, you're not going to win anything that matters. That's what, that's what the real story is in Toronto. We've known it for a while. You're not going to win anything that matters when you have your captain not back-checking like that. It's just, it's a trickle-down effect, and I know you're going to give me the same take that everybody in Toronto gives me about this, is, oh, he wasn't really going to be able to get in the play. Does not matter. If the play breaks down in front of your net, you are the forward. You're one of the forwards. There's three, three, on, you, three on the ice, three players on the ice. You should be trying to get back if that play breaks down. Why are you giving them a free, free slaps at your goaltender? Like, they have free looks at your goaltender if that play breaks down, which it did. Like, Nylander tied up Marshawn at center ice. Like, Tavares could have gotten back. He at least could have tried. I just... I agree. It's an egregious back check. But what I was going to say is it's one play. How many, sure. t- how many disconnected controller play back checks did JT Miller have last season? Sure. And it would have been, fu- it would have been, my, my point is just, there are other problems with the Leafs. Yeah. I mean, a lot of reasons why I'm not confident in them being a legit cup contender this season, but I don't think John Tavares not back checking once is. No, I just think it is a reason to- because, uh, because like my point then is you could, if somebody saw what Miller did last season on some of those moments, it wouldn't be fair to say, oh, you're never going to win with a guy like that. Would it be fair to say you're not going to win if that's your captain and is your guy that's kind of setting the standard? Because I think that's fair. If it's once a season. But is it when once a gassed, season? Is it once a season? How many other times has John Tavares done that? Not that explicit play. I'm just talking about the trickle-down effect of everybody on that bench seeing your captain not really give a crap in that moment. I mean, I'm sure even Bo Horvat had moments where not that Absolutely he did. How successful were the Canucks during the Bo Horvat years? Are we starting this again? But that wasn't because of Bo being a bad captain. That was because the team was terrible. Tough to say. Tough to say. I agree. It was a te- it was a terrible look. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to defend that sequence. I'm just saying you're defending Tavares harder than Tavares has ever defended in his life. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> okay. No, you're right. You're right. Um, okay, this one from Quinn de Gre- Oh, jeez, Quinn Quinn de Gregorio. Let's say the Canucks sign Bear Susi is healthy and Breezeball returns next month. How would you put the pairings together? Who comes out? That's assuming the Canucks are healthy. This is an interesting one. Patrick Alvin spoke at a press conference last week, and he kind of talked about how when everybody's healthy, the Canucks are going to have a lot of bullets in the chamber. He spoke about how Zadorov can play the right side. And look, I know Milstein was on Sakaris and Bryce last week and basically said he only played four games there and was out of necessity in Calgary. But hey, maybe it's going to be a necessity in Vancouver. I wonder what those pairings are going to look like. I think the Canucks have enough guys that can play the right side. I know it's not ideal, but when you're raising your overall bottom line, I don't know if it matters as much as it does when you're going into training camp and saying, yeah, Quinn Hughes is going to play the right side because we need OEL to play on the first pair and we need Quinn Hughes to play 27 minutes a night. When you're raising your bottom line, I don't know if it matters as much as it does right now, maybe, or even a week ago, if guys are on the right or the left. It still matters. It does, and just it's not going as much, be, I don't think. It's going to be a decision, but let's say you have Bear and Susie comes back. My initial thought, and this is keeping in mind that Bear will have missed training camp preseason, and he's trying to join a team midseason, so he's even conditioning-wise. Yep. Um, he's not going to be in an ideal spot coming off of a major injury. I would probably start with, and this would be, course be pending to change uh pending to change depending on performance Hughes Ronick Zadorov Cole Susie Myers and then Bears your seventh day I like that people in the chat are jumping in on the discourse about uh John Tavares 
I love this. And Bo Horvat. Corey Anderson pointed out to you, Harm. Bo just got torched this year in OT by Quinn Hughes in Vancouver. Right? Yeah. So there you go. You used the Bo comparison. It's a perfect, it's a perfect comparison, but not for the reason that you think it is. I know you don't even know what to say to this right now. No, I'm sorry. So I'm, I'm trying to understand Tavares here. People hate Tavares in Leafs Nation right now is what we're also being told. Have you seen? Like, I haven't he's seen a been, lot of that. He's been fine. He's played well this season. I mean, you also got to keep in mind, it's like the second last year of his massive contract. Mm-hmm. He's old. So he old. how old is John Tavares now? I'm going to look that up right now. Go ahead. I think he's 30. Yeah, he's 33. 90, and- 90 birth. Yeah. I thought Grady was coming and saying he's 90 years old. I'm like, I don't think so, Grady. Uh, Tyler Mott has one assist on the year with the Tampa Bay Lightning. That was the stat I was looking up because I was all curious after we brought up, you know, overpaying for a bottom six guy. Just thought about that with Tyler Mott. Only 15 games played for the Tampa Bay Lightning. One assist on the year. Maybe he'll be in the lineup. Tribute video. This is a conversation we'll have. Do you do a tribute video for uh, OEL? The guy you bought out, do you... Thank you, Oliver. Is that flashing on the big board? Yeah, you, you got to give him so. a thank you. I think so. He was he was a good dude. Like that's the thing everybody always mentions is Oliver Larson was a nice guy when he was here. He was like he was a good dude. Yeah, just kind keep of, it to a thank you, Jim. Totally, <laughs> totally, man. Uh, okay, this is a good one from Sniper. Uh, what did you think of the nosebleeds pairing? Obviously, Nikita Zadorov and Tyler Myers. I thought they fared pretty well. Yeah, I thought they were effective. They didn't have any big mistakes, which is which was the worry when you uh, have those two together. There wasn't a lot of negative chaos. So I thought they did their job. Uh, again, Zadorov's stick length, especially when he was able to gap up well in the rush, it felt like the Flames weren't as easily able to tra- transport the puck up to the ice and generate rush chances, which help that pair sort of control play. And on the night, they the Canucks generated more than they gave up when that pair was deployed. RP88 said, do you think all the Hughes brothers will be on Team USA for for Worlds or Olympics in the future? I think at some point they will oh, all play together. Sure. I think for 2025, when we think the next one's going to happen, Quinn's a lock, Jack's a lock, and if Luke can stop getting blown up every night, he's also a lock. I was joking. Their left Luke's side, close. yeah, he's close. Yeah, that he, left side is loaded. I don't think he's gonna. I don't think Luke makes it for twenty twenty five because just trying to make a joke, Harmon. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Who, I, I don't get your vibes. I know, no, never. Uh, who's actually ahead of Luke Hughes? Do you think? Like, if you had to construct, and I know you did this. It was very funny. We did this exercise, so I'll let you do it. Give your blue line of like who who's ahead of Luke Hughes. Right okay, now. I don't have it. You don't have it handy. Me, I know, but. I mean, you're going to have Slavin, probably going to have Wierenski on the left side ahead of him, obviously Quinn. So that's you're, you've already got three left side defenders. Quinn's top guy. Hands yes. Down. Hands yeah. down. And then, I mean, right side, you got Fox, you got McAvoy, you got Seth Jones, or even Brock Faber. Keep an eye out for him. He's been an excellent shutdown player, averaging over 23 minutes a night. He's been a stud. I don't think John Carlson at, that, at this point is what he used to be in his prime. Hmm. So I'm not sure he makes it, but he'll still be in the conversation. So I think those are the main sort of blue line options I look at. I'm sure I'm probably missing somebody as well, but. Okay, this one from 7th Street Dream. Should the Canucks use this homestand to test out guys from Abbotsford, like Baines and stuff? This was such an interesting conversation. And let's close out anyone else on this one, which is going to be a bigger conversation, Harmon. And this was something you and I talked about in the office right before we came in was, I said to you, it feels like the Canucks need to go get a top six forward. Like, if they want to compete and they want to be a team that can actually make some noise in the playoffs, they're a top six forward away. Like, a top six play-driving winger. And this is something you brought up on the last episode, and I found that so interesting because you just said Sam Lafferty had a great game. And what I said to you was, okay, well, isn't Sam Lafferty basically just PDG 2.0, where it's a clearly a bottom six player playing on a top six line and... He's fired up, he's jacked up right now, and he's playing well, but how long is it going to last? And eventually when it doesn't, when it ends, when it eventually ends, like it did with PDG, what are you left with, right? And when PDG ended, Sam Lafferty was the answer. But when Sam Lafferty ends, what if PDG is not the answer, right? So this is where I kind of agree with this idea from 7th Street Dream where 
test out some guys from Abbotsford, see where they're at. I brought Arshdeep Baines to you, and someone brought this up last week. They said, could Arshdeep Baines be the guy who plays on that line where he has enough of a two-way profile that he could play on that line? And kind of the pushback that I had to that idea, which came from me, but the idea that Nils Amon is a decent defensive player, like he's good defensively, and he was putting up a ton of points in the AHL. You brought up Nikolai Goldobin lighting up the AHL. And further to this point, brought up by 7th Street Dream here, I think it's important to at least let this guy get get a look at this guy at the NHL level. And you need to find times to do that when you're a competitive team because it's not like every other year we've covered this team where it's like, all right, it's March, it's April, time to throw this guy in the lineup, time to throw... like. That's not going to happen this year in all likelihood. You're going to have to find times in the schedule to get a look at these guys. And I wonder uh, if this homestand might be that time. But I don't think you can break break the top line up when they're performing as they did against Calgary. Sure. I mean, as long as it continues. I agree with you that Lafferty is not a long-term answer in the top six by any stretch. When you of the say top line, are you talking about Pedersen or Sorry, Miller? Pedersen. Okay. I, well, I know I argue... most people would argue that Miller's a top line, whatever. No, 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 no. That's, <laughs> not, that's not what I was going to say. I'm not going to get in the semantics. I'm just saying that when I look at it, and I'm saying if Baines gets a look, you don't have to put him on a top six line right away, like if you're okay. getting a look at him. But my thought is, in the scenario I laid out where Sam Lafferty and PDG both lose their shine at the same time, who's your next guy up? But I, I've got an idea for that. Okay, okay, let's hear it. I would say try Garland with Miller on that line sure uh, along with Besser because Gar- Garland's at least had some chemistry with Miller in the past their five of five results together aren't too bad and then what you do is you shuttle Hoaglander up to that third line to basically do do the Garland role alongside Joshua and with them being similar stylistic players it's also a way to get Hoaglander more consistent minutes and I know the third line has been going really well and you don't want to break it up but also, they don't generate a ton of goals. So if Garland's able to fix a potential issue down the road, you know, further up the lineup, which is a more important role, then considering you have a player in Hoaglander that I at least feel comfortable shuttling yeah. into Garland's role, I'd be willing to roll the dice on that if, uh, you know, Lafferty struggles or you just need to mix up the top six. Somehow. So you're putting Jay Beagle on the Patterson line, uh, Andre Kuzmenko on the Patterson line in this scenario. Sorry. Well, no. All right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. You're putting Jay Beagle on Elias Patterson's <laughs> wing in Harmon's best case yeah. scenario. I've been all over the place today. <laughs> uh, okay. What did you guys think of Linus Carlson or Linus Carlson? Excuse me. He just, it's like almost like they're trying to see what they have, like sink or swim with him. He's a yeah. bit older. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if you heard that report over the weekend. Like if he doesn't, kind of make or break it he's probably going to go end back in uh, sweden next year or oh yeah i heard beyond. yeah sat had that sat had just, that on just uh, seems like to me yeah it just seems like he doesn't have like the foot speed for the nhl but perhaps they're just trying to yeah get him in here i thought it was an interesting report from sat that is basically going to be sink or swim time for linus carlson and like sat's not just throwing that out there just because it's a vibe he knows obviously something there so i found that really interesting because what is linus carlson like, what is he to this team right now and maybe a year or two down the line? Like, if it's sink or swim time, I'm probably putting my bets on it being a sink here. Yeah, he's organizational depth. I don't think he's anything more than that. And honestly, that that's a fair point that if you don't if you get the sense that we don't have anything in Carlson, okay, then that's the opportunity. Yeah, where exactly. Where you're like, okay, let's, let's get Baines into the lineup, see what we have. Yeah, and I almost think that role that Carlson's in right now is the place where I would try to get a look at Baines. Yeah. Like I know we okay. were talking in the context of top six, yeah. obviously, but during this homestand, you're not going to split up that top six. Yeah. That's not going to happen. So you, I think you put Baines in that, in that role because I think Nils Amon's look good. I think Nils Hoaglanders look very good. That line right now is the Swedish house mafia line. That's what they were called out in Abbotsford last year. Like we had players on our show calling them that, which was great, but we'll see. Actually, no, it was Pod Colson. Pod Colson came up with that name in a post game interview. He called them the Swedish House Mafia. Pretty good. Anyways, um, okay. Uh, Matt made a confession in the YouTube live chat here because someone said, mark my words, the Canucks are entering a dynasty. That was eternal render. And Matt came clean 
He said, I said the Canucks were entering a dynasty the moment after Burroughs wraparound goal on Tim Thomas in game two of the Stanley Cup finals. I jinxed the whole franchise. And he said, I'll never forget we were in a stag party. Wait, so did he just call them a dynasty again? No, Eternal Render did. And then Matt oh, tried okay, to. Okay. Matt, Matt wants him to pull that back and just say, hey, man, last time yeah. these words were uttered, I just want you to know what ended up happening. Yeah, <laughs> dynasty involves multiple cups. <laughs> Let's set our sights with one. Speaking of multiple cups, uh, Arshteep Baines in the top six. <laughs> what? I don't know. Uh, okay. Got to be careful counting your dynasty eggs before they've hatched. <laughs> Let's win one cup. Let's see one cup in the city. That would Let's be the win one playoff round. How year. about they just get to the playoffs first? Because that's yeah. been like. Now we know. sound like TSN in Sportsnet. <laughs> Are the Leafs a dynasty? They got out of the first round. It is <laughs> oh, tough man. to say. No. Okay. Uh, okay, do we have anything else? I feel like today was uh, scheduled to be a shorter episode, and it turned out to be a shorter episode, so let's close it out. Betway, Betway. Betway. Yeah, Betway. Sorry, I should have used my words better. Uh, Betway, this is a good one. This is a really good one. This is a really good one. It's my... I'm doubling down because it's also my Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor pick today. Sebastian Ajo to score a point. Just a point. A goal or an assist against the Winnipeg Jets. Laurent Passois is starting tonight for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, I like my chances here. Sebastian Ajo, to register a point, $10 bet at minus 167 odds returns you $16 over at Betway. It must be 90 plus play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. Sebastian Ajo, I, I like it. I think I'm going to come back tomorrow and say, hey, I'm in round two or day two of the Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor game. I'm used to Tuesday rolling around and be like, I'm eliminated. Yeah, I'm like, I don't <laughs> want to talk about it. I'm just doing the ad read. I don't want to talk about the game. So let's see if you, you know, let's see if you can make it to Tuesday this time. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, folks. And that'll be our next show, Tuesday. We'll have more. It's on like that the dynasty tomorrow. conversation. Yeah. At the end of the week, just quads I've, get to Tuesday. I've got a Wendy's dynasty on my hands. All right. We'll close it out there. For my co host, Harmon Dial, our technical producer, Grady Sass. My name is Dave Wigelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.